Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You are listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you would have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with your sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities, and then to align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales force development company. Enjoy the program. On our program is Jill Conrath. Jill is a sales strategist and speaker whose clients include IBM, GE, and Hilton. Her first book, Selling to Big Companies, was praised by Fortune magazine as a must-read for sellers. She writes a popular blog and newsletter that offers fresh perspectives and practical strategies at sellingtobigcompanies.com. Jill, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. On this program, Jill, we're discussing your book, Snap Selling, Speed Up Sales and Win More Business with Today's Frazzled Customers. Well, I have to tell you this, Jill. If titles sold books this would be probably one of the best titles. But I know you weren't just sitting around, you know, nothing to do, and decided to write another book. So what was the genesis behind Snap Selling? Well, Jim, I write books to solve problems that I'm facing in sales because I'm still actively involved in sales. And what I had been discovering is that it was getting harder and harder to work with my corporate clients. So I actually sat back and said, what in the world is going on here? I've never seen my prospects and customers behave so odd like they are right now. And, and, I, and I studied it. I just said, what is going on? And I studied and discovered that what was really happening was, you know, partly related to the, the recession at the time, too, is that everybody was downsizing. People that were in the corporations were overworked, overwhelmed, had way too much to do, didn't know how to handle anything, and they were just trying to stay alive, <laughs> I guess is the best word I can say. They were trying to stay above the frame, so if it wasn't mission critical, they would disappear. So I had to figure out what could I do and how could I help other people learn to change their sales approaches so that we could deal with this phenomena that we were facing right now, of the frazzled, crazy, busy person that's our prospect. Is snap selling a sales process? Is it a set of techniques, or is it a paradigm shift in what you should be doing today, or all of the above? Oh, I've never been asked that question. Um, is it a process? In a sense, it's a process because I do break the sales process down into three decisions, but I don't do it from a salesperson's perspective, like we talk about. We're prospecting, we're qualifying, we're closing, you know, that kind of thing. I break the, the process down into the customer's decision process because I think that's imperative for us to understand. It's not about we want to follow our process. It's we need to fit where they're at. And the first process that I talk about, the first decision that the customer actually makes is the decision to allow us access. And that's the decision we have to deal with at first because – 95 or more percent of the calls or emails that come into these people are deleted in a nanosecond. So our first skill that we have to focus on is, is how do we get through and capture the attention of these people so they're willing to engage with us. So their first decision is, you know, to allow us access to them. The second decision they make, which is by far and away the hardest decision for them, is the decision to change. And the reason it's hard is for multiple reasons, but when you're 
crazy busy, the last thing you want to do is change anything in your work environment. You don't want to have to add the extra load of checking out options. You don't want to have to analyze the ROI of making a change. You don't want to have to have all these people with all their opinions that disagree on everything. And I mean, you don't want to add that to your workload. So in a crazy busy world, the decision makers will stay with things as long as humanly possible unless somebody does something to get them to see why making a change is necessary. So that second decision is about making a change. And our whole, we have a lot to do as sellers around what we need to do in order to help them realize the value of going through all that to make the change. And then the final decision that they make is a decision on which vendor they're going to choose. And that's oftentimes the easiest decision for them because, I mean, it may take months depending on what you're selling, but they they set out their criteria and they work with us and they make many of us dance at that time. The reality of it is we have a different sales job when they're deciding between vendors as opposed to deciding to change. And so what I've tried to do at SNAP is show the three different main things that people have to do in order to work with their customers where their customers are actually at today. SNAP is actually an acronym for what? Well, it's an acronym for the the four factors that I discovered that customers were using in evaluating salespeople today. It's like they have these factors swirling around in their head at all times, and they're using them in every single interaction with a salesperson. And I'll just go through them quickly, and we can talk about them more. But the S is for simple. If something's not simple, they can't handle it. And so they're evaluating us on, on our approaches, our presentations, on our phone calls. Is it simple? The second thing they're asking is, do you sound like an invaluable resource? And I cheated a little with the N for SNAP and made it a little tiny I and a capital N, invaluable. They're listening to see if you sound personally like an invaluable resource, like bringing you in would be worth their time. If you sound like everybody else is calling them, they don't want to talk with you. They just, I mean, if they're, even if they're interested, they'd rather go online and check out your website because you sound boring like you're going to be a brochure who comes in talking. The third thing they're interested in, this is the A in SNAP, is alignment. Are you aligned with their business strategies, with what they're trying to accomplish in the upcoming months? Because if you aren't aligned, they don't have time for you. They, they've got too much else to do. So they're quickly making judgments in terms of if what you're talking to them about will help them achieve what they're trying to uh, achieve. And the final letter in SNAP is, is the P, and that's priorities. So not only do you have to be aligned, but you're better off to be aligned with the key priority that is on their plate right now because when somebody is overwhelmed, they only focus on what needs their attention right now. And so if you're not in that priority area, they don't, they don't look your direction. They, they're just really trying to keep things flowing. So I try to help work with salespeople in terms of things they can do to pass what I call the SNAP test, that quick reaction that a prospect might have in terms of are you simple, do you sound invaluable, are you aligned with what I'm trying to achieve, and is this a priority that I'm working on? And that's really where the book is focused on, all things people can do at all phases of the customer's decision process to be more relevant and worth meeting, I guess, and worth working with and worth changing for. So what you're really saying is, if I can summarize that, is SNAP is really the underlying strategy that you would need in supporting people in those three decisions that they're trying to make, as you said. That's exactly it. Cause in, yes, because in each decision, I show SNAP strategies to increase your relevance, alignment, 
invaluableness, his simplicity. Yes, that's the strategies. And it's been my experience. I don't know if you've had the same experience. That's typically not how salespeople think or get in alignment. In terms oh, my of- goodness. <laughs> it's typically not how they think. That's a very good way of saying it. Okay. The truth of the matter is most people have this belief about what it is to be in sales, and they see themselves as being the the communicator of the company product and service, and that their job is to be out there and update and educate the person on, here's everything our company can do. And that is so flawed right now, and we'll get salespeople in such deep tapioca, as we say here in Minnesota, that, that they can't get out of it. They can't get business and if they are using the standard approach that people have been teaching for years. It is a disaster formula. I believe that recipe for disaster has been brewing for the last several years. Yes. The recession just kind of amplified it in terms of making it, bring it to the forefront. Absolutely. Uh, so what you're saying is you, you, you no longer can be the walking brochure for oh your company. Goodness. No, I mean, only if you want to be deleted and, and irrelevant and not invited in. I mean, if you think that that's your job as a salesperson today, you are, you're going to have to be working harder and harder and harder with diminishing returns because service knowledge, product knowledge, is simply no longer sufficient And research shows, by the way, and I bring this up with the people I talk with, is that the average via email, which a lot of people are doing, you know, for prospecting right now, it takes somebody an average of 2.7 seconds to make a decision if they're going to continue listening to you, delete you, or forward to somebody else. 2.7 seconds. That's how fast these snap decisions are being made. Let's switch gears. Yeah. 2003 to 2007 was the last growth period in the economy, okay? There's mm-hmm. that time period that some people got involved in sales or involved in sales. We remember that as being part of the good old days. Then there's the reality of today, okay? So that, how are companies different today versus <laughs> back then? Leaner, meaner. Meaner, Leaner, meaner. They're not, I mean, even though there's been some economic recovery right now, they're still not hiring. So individuals in organizations are expected to do more today than they were five years ago. It's been a huge change, and, and you can see it in every organization you work with. That Everyone really just has way too much to do. The net effect of that, having too much to do. The net effect right. of that is they keep, from a salesperson's perspective, they keep us all out because we are interruptions. They, they prefer to learn about business issues, challenges, and how to deal with these things by going online. It's just taken over. They research their issues online. They find forums where people like them congregate. They Google everything. The reality is most of them today, before they, in the past, they might call in a sales organization or a company and say, you know, we're thinking about doing this. What, do you, what can you have? Today when they call people in, their research is showing about 60% down the curve in terms of having done the research. They've found out that much in the interim before they even called you. And, in fact, they evaluate the salespeople based on how they respond to their, to their educated questions. And if a salesperson will move into a pitch, you know, oh, let me tell you about our stuff, they're actually evaluating that pitch based on what they've heard about other companies and what, you know, the shortfalls, et cetera, are. So they 
they have no they don't have a lot of tolerance for that. They're calling in, they'd really rather work with somebody and say, Okay, you've done this research. Let me ask you a few questions. Have you considered this? And, the, and a salesperson again who can add value. How are you gonna make this decision? Have you got everybody involved? Usually when we work with companies, these people have to be involved. Have you been talking to them about what their criteria are? And they want somebody who is almost like a project manager with them in helping them think about what they have to do to make a decision because they don't make these decisions often. And so they're a little bit put off by making the entire decision. And so a salesperson that can provide leadership and guidance in terms of the next steps will be of high value to them as well. There must be something going on in sales that experts are coming forward and saying, hey, the shift really needs to be down to that individual and what that individual is going through and how that individual processes information. I absolutely think so. And I think for years the sales process has been Here's what we're going to do for you as salespeople and, you know, very, very much focus on go out and get them and call them and sell them and pitch them and all that kind of stuff. I think one of the real things that's happened in the last few years with the rise of technology in every area of our business, we are no longer necessary to do our old job. If a person wants to learn about what we do, they can find more information online with less interference and no chit-chat. And so they don't need us anymore. And so the reality of it is we have to figure out what we can do to provide value. And it's really all about the customer. It always has been about the customer, but before there weren't so many blockages with email and voicemail and you know barriers around the decision maker, nor was there so much information. Top salespeople have always been doing what I'm saying, but in today's business environment, it's even more important. I mean, you can't survive making more calls anymore. More bad calls getting you nowhere is is. Um, sure death in this profession. Either a salesperson has to change, sales leadership has to change and stop going after the we're trying to call everybody and get on the phones and pound out the calls. I mean, there is some quantity that's needed, but the reality is if you're making bad calls, you're making bad calls. If you're making irrelevant calls, they're irrelevant. And unless you change what you're saying and what you're doing in your interactions with your customers, it's all about them. They don't need us. It appears to be more difficult to Find a decision maker today. Uh-huh. Okay. So what is your best technique? What have you learned? What could you pass along to find the name of the decision maker? Well, there's so many things you can do to find the name. You know, I mean, there's, there's a simple way. It depends on the size of the company that you're calling as well. But, you know, I, I would certainly go on LinkedIn and check out LinkedIn and do an advanced search on LinkedIn for the decision-making title that I'm looking for within a certain geography. Um, I think you could go to services like Jigsaw or Zoom Info to check out and look up on different names. Hoover's is another one. Uh, you can call the company and ask to be you know, sent to a specific division, and when you get to the division, uh, you might ask people within the division. I mean, there's just so many different ways that you can do it. When you're doing that, partly you are on a search mission. And the first thing you're doing is not trying to sell. It's just simply trying to find out who to contact and if those people are, that person's the right person. But when I just said that, I realized it's not just the right person because so many decisions in organizations today are group decisions. You really want to go after multiple people within a single account or a single division or a single business unit of an account concurrently because you can't have your whole future in a company depend on one human being today who might just be so overwhelmed they can't do anything. So if you believe that what you do creates value for them, 
you should probably tackle three to four people and work on going after them all concurrently. And that, again, is a little bit of self-heresy because, you know, you don't want to go around people's backs and, you know, what do you say and how do you justify that you're talking to somebody else, too. And I just really think it's easy for salespeople today to say, you know, if, if they're worried about it, to just say, look, when we work with organizations, we typically work with these three different people because they're involved in the decision, and so I've contacted all of them, just so you know. It's almost uh, become acceptable today for customers not to return phone calls or emails. Yep. And I find that some salespeople are either frustrated or offended by that. Yes. Should they be? No. So no, it, it, if, if they realize what was going on in that person's office and, and the fact that she or he had 59 hours of work sitting on her desk, she'd received 150 emails earlier that day, and 26 people had called and left a phone message. That person doesn't. That that person that we're trying to reach is just trying to get her job done, and anybody who's trying to reach her and feeling offended should look at their own behavior as well when they're crazy busy and say, "Well, if somebody called you that you didn't know, would you call them back to say, "I'm sorry, I can't talk"? No, you wouldn't. You just wouldn't. You'd just go, "Ah, that's their job to get a hold of me. I'm too busy." And so. Anybody who's offended ought to look at their own behavior because most people won't be so nice and call people back and say, well, thanks so much for calling me about wanting to get together to find out about your sales training programs. And, but, you know, we're really happy right now. And you know why I wouldn't do that if I was somebody? Because you'd try to engage me, and I just want to brush you off. I've got too much to do. Once you find the name, best technique for getting them engaged in some type of dialogue? A, a campaign is the only technique that works and when i say campaign i mean a sales campaign where you as a salesperson are putting together a series of messages whether they be via email or voicemail where you are working on you're you're planning on 8 to 10 to 12 contacts before you actually get a hold of somebody that's the reality of the market today if you only try three to four times you're not doing it enough. The best kind of messaging is very different. I mean, I've dissed this sort of nice traditional message a couple times, you know, which is, hi, Bob, this is Jill Conrath. I'm with the XYZ company. We specialize in. I'd love to meet with you to find out how you're doing things. You know, can we set up a time? That's the old messaging that gets immediately deleted. The new messaging in every medium, whether it is voicemail, email, or letter, is right to the point and gets right to it, and it might say, Jim, Jill Conrath here, I know that one of your key challenges, in, in reviewing your website this year, I know that one of your key challenges moving forward is X. I've got some ideas that might make a difference. We recently helped XYZ Company do this. Can we set up a time to talk? But the message is short. I mean, from a phone call, it might be 20 seconds. From an email, it's it's 90 words. It's read in a preview screen or on a, on a mobile phone, and it's easy to read in that area. And it's not trying to squish everything in in one message because we've got crazy, busy people who delete like crazy. It's about taking and spreading our messaging and our ideas and our information about how we can help their business, not about what we sell, about how we can help their business spread over multiple contacts till we have ultimately reached that person. And typically... And those multiple contacts would be spread over a week, a month? You know, it used to be that you didn't want to contact somebody with more than every two weeks because then you'd look pathetic and needy. And the reality is today, if you took a look back at the people you deleted yesterday, you don't have a clue who they are, do you? 
Absolutely, yeah. Right. Good point. So realistically, that's how every human being is right now, and so you can easily do two contacts a week and not feel one bit presumptuous by doing that. So how do you speed up the decision-making process, which right now appears to be bogged down in molasses, without appearing to be the pushy, obnoxious used card salesperson? <laughs> how do you speed it this well, I think one of the first ways to do it up front is by leveraging what I call trigger events, which are things that you discover that are happening with the company that are a priority. For example, you know, a company may now uh, put out something that our 2012 strategic initiatives are. And if you could tie yourself in with a strategic initiative, you know, then, it, then you will be of higher priority. So one of the things to do is focus on where can you, where can you look at and see what's happening with that company that will enable you to create a message that aligns with their issues, their challenges, their goals and directions. That's the first thing. And, again, nobody wants to change. Um, the second thing is you really have to understand the business value you bring yourself and, and help them understand the business value that they would get from switching. Because the momentum to switch is, is slow, painfully slow, like molasses. And um, even people you've been working with that agree to change will quickly divert back to the status quo if other things come up. And so you need to work to develop a compelling business case with your client. Sometimes you can know from the outside what it will be. Sometimes you need to work with them to create the compellingness of making the change, which means you have to find you know, what are the, the financial drivers behind doing this? What are they going to get out of doing this kind of change? And they have to be working with you on this. And that's the biggest, the biggest thing you can do is, is you can condense that second decision, which is the one that takes so long, should we switch or not? And that's a focus on business value and creating business value and helping them understand how they'll be better off if they switch than if they stay the same. You talk in your book about creating value. Yes. And at the same time, the challenge seems to be that everybody talks about value, but nobody can describe it. It appears that we only know value in its absence. <laughs> That's a good way of saying it. <laughs> we know when something's a waste of time, yes. Or it could be someone is going to switch vendors because they perceive someone else is more valuable and then when they don't get the same level of service or product, they go, oh, well, I guess the other person was valuable because now I, I, I'm missing what they were bringing to the table. So I, I'm curious. That appears to be just kind of human nature. So how can a salesperson bring value to a customer? I think value is brought in many, many different ways. And what a lot of salespeople don't realize is that the value isn't necessarily about stuff that their company does only. It's about their own ability to be a great resource for their customers. I'll give you an example, and it's one I, I do share in the book. Printing is a pretty commodity-driven business these days, right? I mean, you can go from one printer to the next oh, and not see a whole yeah, lot that, of difference. Yeah, that whole industry is struggling. Very much struggling. Well, one person who I feature in the book is, is a guy named Bill, and Bill sold printing and was really struggling and after two years just about dead on the wheel. And he, and he read my book and realized that he was approaching it all wrong. So rather than going after selling printing and trying to steal business away from other people, he walked around the printing plant one day and, and discovered that they did a lot of business with restaurants. 
So Bill decided to become a restaurant expert in menus. Now, what he did then is he started studying menus from every restaurant he went to. He actually went out and went to restaurants just to gather their menus. He read about menus. He went online and started reading about restaurant chains. He started noticing when they were having pricing increases or when they were announcing some new changes in decor. And every time he noticed something that was going on in the marketplace, he would sit down and think for a while and say, how can I help this restaurant chain drive more sales through their menus and increase their revenue per serving and questions that VPs of marketing ask. He actually, within just a several-month period, became a very strong expert in menus. And rather than, like every other sales rep, going to the printing person to fight for the menu business, he ended up talking to the VP of marketing and saying, I know that this is a key initiative that you're doing. I've got some ideas. I'd like to send you some samples. Can we set up some time to talk about it? And he got business through the VP of marketing because he brought ideas to the table. I mean, that kind of thing changes the game. The salesperson himself has to be an idea person, constantly thinking about how to leverage their products or services to help their customer achieve the end result. Because our products and services are exchangeable, but we're not as human beings. Let's pretend that I become an expert in something. Yes. And just because I have data, it doesn't make it information. And just because information doesn't make it relevant... (laughs) <laughs> right. Yes. So let's connect the dots between the information I have and making it relevant to either my customer or my prospective customer. How does a salesperson translate that? There's so many things you can do. For example, say you read something that you think is valuable, maybe about some trends in the industry that should things continue to go this way would certainly create a need for your product and service. I mean, a salesperson, if they think about their job is to educate a prospect and to inform them about what's going on, rather than writing an email or calling up somebody, uh, let's stick with email in this case, but rather than writing an email and saying, hi, Bob, this is Jill Conrath. I'm the account executive at XYZ Company. We specialize in offering a whole bunch of garbage that you probably aren't interested in, and let me give you a laundry list of everything we can do for your company. Rather than doing that, a salesperson could, from the, from the outside, say, Hi, Bob, I know that as a VP of sales, one of your key challenges this year is new client acquisition. I've been reading a lot about it, and we do work with clients. But here's a link to an article I think you might find helpful for your salespeople in terms of what they can do to get more business this coming year. Let's set up a time to talk if it gives you some ideas. But it's about changing things in terms of here's some ideas. You know, here's something you might want to look at. Here's how another company did this and constantly bringing that information to a person in a way that doesn't dump a whole lot on them. And by the way, the ask in SNAP is simple. You can't give everything at once. You have to have a lot of little touches with a little bit of information in, or else you overwhelm people. And crazy busy people, when they're overwhelmed, delete. So let me ask you this. You hear some old-timers, right, old-timers, talk about, I was selling before there were fast machines, and then uh, uh, when fax machines came along, people, the salespeople shifted having good, good fax, faxing skills. You know, I was selling before there was email, and when email came along, salespeople shifted to having good email skills. People seem to be putting down that those aren't important today, that the social media skills aren't important, the email's not important. Pick up the phone and talk to people is, is most important, and we seem to have lost that. Do you agree with that, or social media skills more important today? 
I think social media involves a whole lot of things. If I can spread it out and say, I mean, LinkedIn is social media where you put up your information about yourself and you can connect and link to other people. And do I think that's important? I think it's crucial because today's customers, one of the things they'll do is check you out on LinkedIn. You know, so if you're on LinkedIn and you have a strong profile and you have a lot of customer recommendations and you, you know, can showcase your expertise on your profile without sounding like a braggart but simply showing how you've helped other companies, I think you stand out. Now, that's social media at its simplest. Um, I also think that the need to be an expert makes a difference. And if you can write articles and publish things or maybe create a slideshow show to put on your LinkedIn profile. I think that kind of thing, again, demonstrates expertise. Clients want to deal with somebody who's smart, who's an invaluable resource. And if you can show that you know stuff through multiple mediums online, I think that's really important. I think what I would come back to even stronger than that is the importance of the website today. And that's where I see such huge room for improvement. I mean, as we've already talked about, it's, it's more and more difficult for salespeople to get in. And 60% of the decisions may be made before somebody actually contacts your company. And I really truly believe that a website needs to be fundamentally different today than it was five years ago or even three years ago in order to attract potential customers into your world serve as a lead generation tool to attract people who are interested and showcase the fact that your company has knowledge that's valuable as well. And it's not about saying, here's all our products or services. It's about having um, white papers or articles on, you know, three things to consider in making an an XYZ decision or um, how switching to XYZ raised so-and-so's company by 52%. It's about case studies. It's about showcasing that you've made a difference and that you know the problems that they're, that they're struggling with. So I would really say if a company is doing anything, they ought to really take a look at their website in terms of what's on it. And if they were a customer who was working with one of their competitors who was thinking about making a change but not really sure, would they find value on their website? And if they would look at it from their customer's perspective, they would see that they're just a catalog for the most part, and they're boring. The number one mistake you find that salespeople are making today is what? Unbelievable. I can, I can list a lot of them. Um, Top two. Lack of preparation. Swinging from the hip, thinking that they can just get out there and do something. Um, That is really a critical mistake because if you are on the other side evaluating everybody who's trying to get a hold of you, you will pay attention to somebody who clearly shows that they've done their homework and know about your business and have something worthwhile to offer. There's just no shooting from the hip anymore. Number two, I would say not realizing that they are the differentiator and that an investment in their own personal development and learning more about their customer's business is, is crucial for their success. Published in 2006, Selling to Big Companies still seems to be the quintessential book on how to do that. But a lot has changed since then. If you were to update that book today, is there a chapter you would add or change? I would change some chapters on technology. Because at that point, LinkedIn was a baby. 
You know, it was a baby back then, and you know, it's just such an incredible tool today. It needs to be a huge part of it. It's a way to find out information, as are so many of the other things were really new in those days. So that's the kind of thing that I would really change. Um, in terms of messaging and the strategies, I don't think I changed too much. I think I was really ahead of the game when I when I wrote the you know how do you craft messaging to get your foot in the door. Today, no question, you have to be more resilient no matter what role you're playing in life. Yes. Let's talk about Cho for a second. Toughest thing you've had to overcome personally or professionally? Oh, my, when my business collapsed about 10 years ago, um, when my two biggest clients who had 95% of my business came under pressure from Wall Street at the same time, and, and um, both of them cut out consulting. Zap, like that. Wiped me out. How did you... Uh, Adjust, overcome, bounce um, back? I spent um, my first four or five months hoping that things would come back, and they didn't. <laughs> um, and then I got scared, really scared. And then I got depressed, feeling like I was past my prime and there was no hope for me anymore. And then I realized it wasn't just me and it was everybody else, and I better figure it out. And that's when I dug in to start figuring out what worked. And the epiphany moment back then was what? That it wasn't just me. Okay. That it wasn't just me. I mean, I was really, really struggling. And, and I was actually embarrassed to tell people about it because I'd always been a high flyer as a salesperson. And, you know, I've been great at prospecting. I've been, you know, I was always a super overachiever. And suddenly I was like at the bottom of the barrel and I didn't even know which way to turn. And I was embarrassed and I didn't want to tell people about it. And so, I, you know, when I'd meet with people and we'd be talking, I'd sort of, you know, I, I, they'd say, how are things going? I'd say, great, but it, they really weren't. But then I'd start listening and, and realize that they were struggling with the same issues I was struggling with. And once it hit me that it wasn't me, that it was a change, suddenly my, my love, of selling, of, of de- love of figuring out sales challenges kicked in. And I went, oh, wow, this is, this is new. I've got to figure out how to deal with this because this is a changing marketplace. Jill, was there one question today that I should have asked you that I didn't? <laughs> I think I did a good job this time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jill, how could people learn more about you and what you do and your books and services? Uh, I would suggest that people go to jillconrath.com, and that's Conrath with a K, J-I-L-L-K-O-N-R-A-T-H. Um, one of the things I'll find on my website is I do have a free prospecting toolkit that covers a lot of some of the stuff that we talked about today in terms of what it takes to get your foot in the door. And I honestly think that anybody who's listening and that's struggling with prospecting will get lots of really good ideas from downloading that toolkit. Thank you. Jill, thanks for being on the program. Truly my pleasure. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. You can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies on how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact Performance Group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net.